And if you look at any medical books, you'll notice that most people are talking about rotated vertebrae, fixing rotated. No, the driver of the rotation is the side bending. Fix the side bending and you solve the rotation. And this is why I, as a therapist, I kept trying to fix this rotation vertebrae all the time and it would never fix because I didn't understand the side bending component of that equation. So this pattern is occurring in 80 to 90% of the cases because of some older issue on the same leg as the pelvis that's higher. All right, my friends, it's Dr. A, and I want to welcome you back to another episode here on the Fit Father Project and Fit Mother Project podcast. And boy, do we have an amazing episode for you today because we are joined by Rick Olderman, who is going to really help demystify chronic pain. And Rick is a sports and orthopedic physical therapist with over 25 years of experience who specializes in helping people with chronic pain, experience the pain for your life. And very impressively, in my opinion, Rick has written his popular Fixing You book series with over 10 books. So you can go on amazon.com and check his stuff out. There's a ton of books basically going over all the different areas of the body of, of things you can address pain, as well as the philosophy of why we have pain, which I'm going to state, and I think we're going to figure out this conversation is not uh, as well understood by most people as it could be. And Rick is one of the top professionals in the US when it comes to understanding recurring injuries, chronic musculoskeletal pain, and he basically wants to enhance the quality of life of people. And Rick's newest book, Solving the Pain Puzzle, is also available on Amazon. He also has a downloadable home video program called The Fixing You Method, and that's going to be linked in the description as well. And we have a promo code for those listening. If you're loving this conversation by the end and you want to get in even deeper on figuring out how to unwind pain, his Fixing You Method is going to be fixingyoumethod.com. And our listeners get 20% off. Thank you, Rick, uh, with promo code FIXINGYOU, all one word. So Rick, Welcome to the show. I'm excited to talk about pain, how the body works, and just pick your brain for a few minutes. Oh, I'm so excited to be here and go as deeply as we want to. So it'll be fun. Yeah. Well, and this is the furthest thing about me. But that being said, pain has been like a very big theme in my life. You know, being an athlete, uh, and I actually had some a very serious skiing accident in my 20s that led to six leg surgeries. And in, in, in this process, like I've just learned a lot about pain. And I think it's just something that many people don't understand a lot, like how the body's an integrated system. And we pain is something that we often like fear or we want to avoid, but it's kind of like a signal. So can you kind of get into the philosophy of pain in the body as an integrated system, whatever you'd like to share on that? And then we have some specific questions to guide us through a conversation. But the body's an integrated system, pain's a signal please kind of bring us into the philosophy of how you like to teach people about our bodies and chronic pain. Well, I, I think you pretty much summed it up already. It's pain is a signal that something is wrong now. And if you fix that thing now, you'll come get out of pain now. So you could have a splinter in your thumb for 20 years and it'll hurt those for 20 years, but you pull out the splinter and you feel much better. So chronic pain, you know, it's, I don't know about you, Dr. Anthony, but I don't, it, uh, more and more in uh, newspapers and literature, I see chronic pain being designated as a disease. And I don't believe it's a disease. I think it's just our lack of understanding of how the body works that makes us unsuccessful at solving chronic pain. So then we therefore cat categorize it as a disease because we don't understand it. 
So I don't actually think it's a disease. So chronic pain, you know, the technical definition is any pain that lasts over three months. I don't know who came up with that definition, right? right? Who cares? But basically, you know, chronic pain, I feel is the very exact same thing as acute pain. It's just acute pain that hasn't been solved for 10, 20, 30 years. Yeah, for sure. And I think these things, at least in my personal experience, they, they can kind of like stack up on each other because the body's so connected. If you have dysfunction in one area, you get compensation in another area and the body's set up in like these different patterns and stuff like this. Like I want to get into it. Shoulders are related to hips, knees are related to other things. Um, so, and you have a unique system-based approach to solving pain. So when someone comes into your office and they're like, Rick, I have bad knees, you know, I can't squat. I've had problems. Like how do you begin to work through investigating these types of things or help their, help your clients understand the process and the pattern and get to the truth of the why behind the pain? Well, gosh, I mean, the word you're saying the words right out of my mouth, the why is what you need to understand and solve in order to solve chronic pain. So first and foremost, you're right on hitting the nail right on the head there. So we can go into how I came up with this whole approach to solving pain. But in terms of someone coming into my clinic with knee pain, anyone who comes into my clinic with back on down to the foot pain, I I put that into one system of movement, right? So I have basically two evaluations, one for anything from the rib cage on down to the foot, and that's for back or any lower body pain. And then the other is from the pelvis, any all the way up to the top of the head is for anyone who comes in with any upper body issue. So interestingly, the more that you understand how the body works as a system, the shorter your exam can be, even though it's comprehensive and covering more joints. When you understand one idea that's occurring in the body, and we can go over any of those ideas if you want to, like for more retroversion or antiversion and so forth. Yeah. Uh, once you understand one idea, then you can understand the ripple effects of that phenomenon in the body. And so if you see that that phenomenon is occurring, you automatically make all of these associations up and down the chain. Mm-hmm. Nice. That sounds great. I mean, and, and so what can people uh, like... <laughs> How do people solve this stuff for themselves is what I'm kind of asking. And maybe the answer is they can't. And that's why they come find and seek people out like you. And that's why you're spreading your message in your course. But what can we do at home if we do have some area of chronic pain to start to like shed some more light? Do we have to understand kinesiology, biomechanics? Like, do we start to learn about that stuff? How do we begin to unwind these things? Yeah. So uh, the first part of your question, I believe full, you know, fully that anyone can solve their own pain. And that's why my books were initially called the fixing you books. It wasn't me fixing you. It was you fixing you. And I believe that if we just understand how the body actually works as a system, which is different than how we're trained in practitioners to view the body, then we can solve our pain. And so the fact that my, I mean, I sell probably about three to 4,000, maybe I'm up to 5,000 books a year from my fixing you system books. That's been going for the last 10 to 15 years. So that is, you know, and tons of reviews. So lots of people can solve their pain without knowing anything except maybe a few minor ideas about what is causing their pain. But these last 10 years, I've owned my own sports and orthopedic clinic here in Denver, and I saw a huge volume of people. And that allowed me to see that these problems are occurring not randomly. They're occurring in patterns. 
And once I realized that, oh my gosh, this is all. So the same pattern of problems in you might cause central back pain. In another person, it might cause sciatic pain. In a third, it might cause SI joint pain. But it's all the same pattern of issues. It's just manifested differently in different people's bodies based on genetics, exercise history, injury history, work history, all sorts of things. And so you certainly can fix your own pain if you just have the tools. And so that's why I created these home programs is because I took away, like all of my books talk about the muscles, the bones, all of these mechanics and so forth. But I found a lot of people don't want to learn that or they, their, their brains don't work that way. Right. So it just made them kind of groan. So that's why I created these downloadable home programs, especially after I saw these things were happening in patterns. I thought, oh, I'm just going to show the people the exercises. They can learn why it's happening, but most people don't seem to want to learn the muscles or the bones or all of the technicalities behind their pain. They just want the exercises to fix it. That's how those home programs are different than the books originally. Nice. I was a beautiful answer. And it almost like for me begs the question, like, I want to know about some of these common patterns. Yes. Like I want to get into these because I think probably someone listening to them has them. I may be experiencing some of them. I can think of some, what are some common patterns and balances that, that show up? And I was, everyone's listening to this. I want people to reflect on their own bodies and maybe feel your body as you're listening to this. Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to, let's talk about back pain because that's the most common, as you know, complaint that walks through the door, right? Back pain. And so I, I want to preface this by saying that uh, I, when, I first, when I first graduated as a physical therapist, I was in a huge failure. I couldn't solve anything, any kind of chronic pain. I didn't have the tools to solve it. And so I started looking for those tools. And I've always felt that I, like I had back pain prior to PT school. And I always felt that something I was doing was causing my pain. And so that was the primary idea behind my search to understand chronic pain mm-hmm. is that it's ultimately my fault and I have to fix it. So I, Dr. Shirley Saruman, who's a PT, PhD instructor out of Washington University in St. Louis, has been there for decades, wrote a couple of textbooks, tons of research. I, I started there because her textbooks are called movement impairment syndromes. And I thought, mm-hmm. oh, well, that's exactly what I think is going on. So I learned her information. It went, took me so far. And then uh, the next tier of patients started knocking on my door. These people didn't respond as well to the bio, just pure biomechanics. And so that's when I discovered Thomas Meyer's work in anatomy trains. And he identified, he, his focus was on fascia. And f- those of you listening, fascia is connective tissue that connects everything to everything in the body. But it turns out that we have super highways of fascia running through our body from our head mm-hmm. to our toes. All right. So he identified what those super highways were. And so that helped me look further away from where pain was happening to understand that what was feeding into that. Right. I could go anywhere along that fascial web and say, oh, here's a problem. And when I fix that, it helps solve that uh, pain, that say back pain. And then the next tier of patients started knocking on my door. And these people seem to have a battery that was charging their bodies to be in these patterns of dysfunction that Dr. Saruman mm-hmm. and Thomas Myers were identifying. And that's when I learned of Thomas Hanna's, Dr. Thomas Hanna's work, Hanna Somatics. He yep. studied neurological-based patterns of dysfunction in the body. And when I and the, the fascinating thing, Dr. Anthony, about this is that he identified the exact three same patterns as both Dr. Saruman and Thomas Myers. And when I put all this together, I'm just like, now I've got it. Now I've got yeah. all the aspects of 
these patterns, all right? So what are these patterns? So one of the most common patterns that's causing most back pain is that of too much arch in the spine or too many forces trying to pull the spine into an arch. And we can, and those of you at home with back pain, you can test this right now really easily. Just lie down on the floor with your legs straight, right? For 30 seconds, see how your back feels. And then do another 30 seconds with your knees bent, either feet on the floor or knees up to your chest. Yeah. And you'll notice that your back feels much better when your knees are bent, right? And, or up to your chest. So that's mm -hmm. telling us that, oh gosh, if my back was just a little flatter, I'd feel great. Yeah. All right. So now that we have that, that's, so that's identifying that one basic pattern. Now, mm -hmm. what none of these people studied was why are those patterns occurring? And so that's what I spent the next 25 years figuring out. So mm -hmm. if we all stand up now and listen to this podcast for the next three to five minutes, you might notice that after a couple of minutes that your knees are starting to lock backwards in a straight position. Mm -hmm. So if, and if that's not happening yet in you, go ahead and make that happen. Lock both of your knees and feel what just happened to your back. Your back, low back starts to arch more and yeah. you'll probably feel the muscles engage more. Now, just mm -hmm. simply unlock your knees a little bit and you'll feel that that changes. And now if you lock your knees one more time, you'll really feel it now that you can compare yeah. the two. All right. So locking the knees is one of the behaviors that we do habitually and unconsciously that is driving this pattern of dysfunction. And so it happens when we stand, but it's mostly happening when we're walking. So if we not, if we stop locking our knees when we're walking, and if you walk 10,000 steps a day, that's 10,000 steps of knee locking hmm. that's hammering your back and promoting this pattern that you've just identified is the cause of your pain. That's one of the patterns. That is honestly fascinating. Yeah. And then you put that on top of the fact that most people are sitting prolonged for many hours a day and shortening those hip flexors that are pulling on the spine. It's like, wow. Yes. And like what you just decided, I felt the low back with the locking of my knees. I'm standing as we're doing this and it's like pretty profound. You are right on. Yeah. So when that, that is actually one of the major stressors creating the arch in the back is the hip flexors, right? Right. But not the iliopsoas that everyone complains about all the time. It's the quads. The quads ah. are hip flexors too, because they cross the right. hip joint, right? So yeah. when they're put in this shortened position for eight to 10 hours a day, then you stand up, they have shortened. And so what they do then, they insert right here on the pelvis and they pull it forward and tug it, which then causes the back to arch. Right. So one of the simplest corrections for most back pain, believe it or not, is just to stretch the quads, right? It's so simple. And this is what I, this is what I love about looking at the body as a system is once you understand how this all works, fixing chronic pain is simple. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, like the journey to get to the truth can be long and arduous, yes. but like the solutions can be pretty quick and magical, drastic, yes. even if you get to the root cause. Absolutely, Dr. Anthony. 20 years of pain does not mean it's going to take 20 years to fix. Mm -hmm. it, it can only take often one session. So if you identify the issues and correct those, why would your body then be in pain? Right. That's, that's so, and, but also important to note, if you're having persistent pain too, it's like, because you haven't gotten to root cause yet. Correct. Uh, or yeah, and, you know, and that's not to be said you could have tears or some actual joint dysfunction. But I think by and large, most of us have these musculoskeletal holding patterns that are, you know, the batteries, as you called them, keeping us in 
certain positions in postural stuff, right? So, okay, oh, so, absolutely. so we sit, right, in shortened position. And I'm sure sleeping has a factor in that as well. Can you speak into that a little bit? Because I'm thinking, how do we spend our day and it, what positions are we in? So I'm sure sleep has a big factor in our position there and where our bodies hold. Yeah, so, so sleep has uh, a big factor when it comes to uh, knee and foot and ankle issues. All right. It does promote back pain. But you can imagine if we just follow up on our example of sitting and our our quads now become tight because of that. Right. And then when we stand, we're arching our back and that causes our back to hurt. Well, then guess what? When we go to bed, our legs are in a straightened position. Same thing as standing. It's promoting the back arching. So it's not the sleeping that's causing the back pain. The sleeping is just promoting the pattern that's causing the back pain. Right. Right. So a lot of people have discovered, oh, if I just put a pillow underneath my knees, my back feels a lot better. But why would you want to put a pillow underneath the knees for the rest of your life? Right. I'd rather not have to use that pillow. Plus, in the middle of the night, you're probably kicking it out. Right. Yeah. So why not fix the reasons that your knees being straight are actually causing your pain so you can sleep without those pillows? So sleep Mm -hmm. isn't the cause of pain, but it's, it's holding you in the pattern that causes your pain for six or eight hours at a time. Great answer. I want to comment two things on that before we get to the third pattern. I noticed like um, I used to be a a side sleeper and I would sleep with like an arm underneath me really bent and like in a very weird position, like a very stretched and strenuous position. And I, and I had some recurring pain in my arms and my, and, and stuff like that. And I resolved it by being in a more neutral, relaxing position. So I guess that is a variable there. And then I, unfortunately, like I, I had very tight hip flexors at the time when I broke my leg and I was lying in bed and oh my gosh, the pain of those tight hip flexors on my back when I had to be bedridden taught me so much about the importance of what you're just saying. Like in my own experience that it was like, wow, we can all work on our hip flexors, whether you're driving, sitting, like hip flexor pain, certainly a thing. So we talk about uh, additional patterns because I know we've covered a couple of those. Yeah. So we've only talked about one pattern so far, and that is one of excessive back arching, okay. which is called an extension pattern. The back okay. is in too much extension or there are too many forces trying to pull it into more extension, okay. all right? Both behaviorally and tight or weak muscles and so forth. And we go deeper into those other things if we want to. But the second pattern is called what I call a side bending problem. And this is often mistaken for a leg length discrepancy, which I believe is one of the biggest myths out there is that people have leg length discrepancies. So really what's going on with the side bending problem is that one side of the pelvis is resting higher while usually the same side rib cage is resting lower. So you can imagine folks, if you're watching this on video, hopefully you are, that this is compressing the nerve roots exiting this side of the spine, right? Right. So this would then naturally cause unilateral back pain, SI joint pain, sciatic pain, all right? So this is uh, the second major pattern. Now, Dr. Saruman identifies, she doesn't call it a side bending pattern. She calls it a rotation problem. And that's because in neutral spinal mechanics, when we side bend, we rotate to the opposite direction. Okay? And if you look at any medical books, you'll notice that most people are talking about rotated vertebrae. Yes. Fixing rotated. No. The, the driver of the rotation is the side bending. Yeah. Fix the side bending and you solve the rotation. And this is why I, as a therapist, I kept trying to fix this rotation vertebrae all the time and it would never fix because I didn't understand the side bending component of that equation. So this pattern is occurring 
in 80 to 90% of the cases because of some older issue on the same leg as the pelvis that's higher. Yeah. In 10 to 20% of the cases, this is due to a compensation from the other leg issues. All right. And so when we're, what we're born, we're born, we have these deep reflexes when we're born. And one of those is the Landau reflex that we use to, that allows us to lift up our head to crawl and then arch our back to stand up. That's one of the uh, neurological patterns that's feeding this extension problem, which we just talked about. We also have another neurological reflex pattern called the withdrawal reflex. And you can watch videos of these on YouTube when people put a baby's foot down and they, they quickly withdraw the foot. Well, they're not just bending the knee when they withdraw that foot. They're withdrawing the foot from the waist. Yeah. All right. And so the, even though we we're born with these deep neurological reflex patterns, we override these patterns with our prefrontal cortex because we can't go around all day long reflexively responding to every stimulus. Mm -hmm. So our higher brain overrides these reflexes eventually. But the reflexes are still in our bodies. And we still tap into those unconsciously to avoid problems. So if you, if you can imagine maybe you have a broken, an old broken ankle on this ankle mm -hmm. that hasn't been rehabbed quite correctly, mm -hmm. but you are a runner or you're a hiker. Well, your focus is to get from A to B, right? Not so much how you're getting from A to B. Right. So your brain is saying, okay, you want me to get here to there. Well, and, and, but this isn't perfect yet. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to get you off of that problem a little bit by lifting yeah. up that pelvis. Well, the same muscles that are attaching to the pelvis attach into the rib cage. Yeah. So while the pelvis is being pulled up, the rib cage is being pulled down and this creates the compression. Yeah. And, and also that what I was going to ask you, the relationship between the pelvis and the shoulders, that zigzag pattern that we often see. So you have a high shoulder, the opposite hip might be connected, well, is connected to that due to that lateral bending problem. So cool to hear. Yeah. So if we're going to jump to the shoulders, if, if we look at the skeleton, we see that most of our bones are these long bones, but we have yep. two places in our bodies that have flat bones. One is the pelvis. We know that the pelvic bone or the pelvis is the center of function for the back and lower body system. Mm -hmm. The other area is the shoulder blade. It's the center of function for our upper body and neck and head system. Mm -hmm. So the shoulder blade gently rests on the rib cage. So mm -hmm. if you have a side bending problem where the rib cage is down, you've automatically set up that shoulder blade for dysfunction. The same side shoulder. The same side shoulder, mm -hmm. which will then cause same side neck pain, headaches, all sorts of things. And we can go over those connections if you want mm -hmm. to. That's, yeah, that's powerful. Okay. And so is it the second pattern we have is a effectively a pelvic and lateral bending problem, also described as a rotational problem, but through the lateral. And I, I almost beg this question, like how in the, in the instance of the tight quads, we stretch those static stretching, foam rolling? Like, what do you suggest to people start to unwind these if they feel like, wow, my quads are actually really tight. I should be working on this. Yeah. Are you familiar with the modified Thomas test? Yes. Okay. So that's how I stretch the quad. Nice. Because it isolates the spine mm -hmm. and allows you to control the pelvis and the spine. Mm -hmm. So you can get a pure stretch on the quad. Yep. I feel that standing or kneeling quad stretches allow too much play in the spine. Yep. And so it robs you of the stretch that you could be getting, mm -hmm. but it's also promoting the pattern that's causing your pain. Okay. Because you're allowing the spine to extend 
to accommodate the stretch. Mm -hmm. So for those of you at home, the modified Thomas stretch is one where you lie down on a, let's say a bed at the edge of the bed mm -hmm. and you hug both of your knees up to your chest. Yep. So what you're going to do is you're going to hold on to, I'm going to try and make this work. You're going to hold on to both of your knees with your hands or uh, one knee with your hands. And you're going to drop one of the legs down over yep. the edge of the bed with the knee bent at 90 degrees. Mm -hmm. Okay. And what that, but this leg that's up is protecting your back and pelvis and causing it to be stable. Mm -hmm. So your quads then will tighten or stretch as you lower this leg down. Mm -hmm. All right. And so that's the safest and best way I found of stretching this. Now, interestingly, asymmetrical quad tightness mm -hmm. will cause a side bending pattern as well. And you can imagine that if you have a quad that is tighter on one side than the other, and it's tugging only that side of the pelvis more than the other, now we've introduced rotational torque into the pelvis and back automatically. Right. And this is what's behind most SI joint pain, sciatic pain, and low back pain. That is, is it's so fascinating. And I'm sitting here personally reflecting and kind of feeling my quads. Like, I got some work to do, Rick. I do. Like, yeah. and I'm yeah. sure many of us do. But like, this is really illuminating for sure. Let's get into it, the, keep on going. It's please. not complicated though, is yeah. it, Dr. Anthony? It's, it's pretty simple. Yeah. It's so simple. And that's what all of my therapists, because any therapist who wanted to work at my clinic, I, they, I wouldn't let them work there unless they were trained in my system. Mm -hmm. Because I needed to test my system, not only that it worked across all populations and types of injuries, but I needed to see whether this was just something I could do or whether it was something other people could do. Yeah, repeatable results. And that's the system, yeah. Exactly. And so- Without fail, almost every one of my therapists within six to eight months became a master clinician. Mm -hmm. They could solve any problem that walked through the door. And it showed that the system works. Not only it's not some magic in my hands or eyes or whatever, anyone can learn this. Mm -hmm. So on the one side of the, of the spinal issue on like the, the same side, the quadratus lumborum or with the other muscles, like how are we working those out to release tightness if it's independent from the quads? We're not. Okay. The quadratus lumborum. So folks, the quadratus lumborum attaches from the pelvis up to the rib cage and into the, invests into the spinal column here. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like this. All right. Mm -hmm. And so that is, I found responding to the problems. Okay. So it's one of the muscles that's hiking this up. Yep. So if we solve the problem here and eliminate the problem down here and solve all of this torque that's going through, then the quad quadrosome porum just starts to shut down. Nice. Right? All by itself. We don't, I never treat the QL. Never. That's really cool to hear. And I think the philosophy I want people to take from this is like maybe where the pain is, the problem isn't, and always look upstream and downstream of a particular painful area because there's something feeding into that pattern. Yeah. Can, can I take you through a cool little experiment yeah, and folks please. at home? You'll see why the quadratus lumborum will, will relax all by itself. Okay. So put your, put your hands on your waist muscles, just okay. like this. They're there. All right. Now just march in place really mm -hmm. slowly. Okay. All right. We're just going to go real. I'm like, I'm still raising one leg up that okay. slow. Okay. So you'll notice that the, the waist muscles of the leg that you're raising are engaging. Yep. Can you feel them become tighter? Yes, I can. Now, also, the waist muscles of the leg that's on the ground are not engaging. Yep. So, and then you'll see that this happens reciprocally. If we weight bear correctly through that stance leg, 
it shuts down the waist muscles, of which the quadratus lumborum is one. Yes. Does that make sense? It does. If we're not walking correctly, then we get constant engagement of this issue. And that's why the QL or other muscles aren't calming down. Hmm. It's ultimately because of gait pattern. So for example, my left QL has been tight. My stance phase on my right leg probably needs some more strengthening and proper biomechanics. Well, if your left QL is chronically tight, Mm -hmm. it means that it, well, yes. So from your standpoint, you could be using the left QL to assist the right leg. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But it could also be that you're not weight bearing correctly on the left side Mm -hmm. too. And this is what I just had a patient like this. She's had years and years of right-sided leg pain, Mm -hmm. of course, been through a lot of people. And then in, you know, we identified that her left leg was a mess Mm -hmm. (laughs) and she had no idea. And uh, so we found out that her left leg was about 50% weaker than her right. Mm -hmm. And once we corrected that, solved the problem. And so when you say legs a mess, we're defining that as weakness, uh, adhesions, like uh, like tissue doesn't feel as, as good, lack of tone. Like what are we seeing and what are we experiencing in our bodies that like more painful areas that are we press and touch on? Yeah. So this is completely by Zoom. Uh-huh. So it's all through observation. Yeah. All right. So the I found a really, really great test to test this is I have people do a single leg stand out of a chair. Simple. Yeah. Right. And I don't give them direction as to which leg to stand up with. Mm hmm. So which leg do you think they're going to choose first unconsciously? Yeah, yeah certainly which, their stronger leg, yeah. Their stronger leg. So then it allows me to see which leg does their brain think is stronger. Not what they think, but what their brain thinks. Yeah. And it's often two different things. Yeah. And so if they stand up with using the injured leg first, that tells me that that injured leg is their stronger leg likely from their brain standpoint. Therefore, it should, because it only makes sense that you would use your non-injured leg first, right? Yeah. If they're using their injured leg first, it means that they're likely compensating for a problem on the other side. Yeah. And that injured side is an overuse issue. Yep. That makes that makes a lot of sense. Okay. Right? This is so telling just from that one test. It's really elegant. Isn't it simple? It's so simple, Dr. Anthony. Yeah. So the problem is you can't reveal any of these tech tactics <laughs> yeah. until yeah. after they've done the test. Because yeah. the instruction is I want you to do a single leg stand and sit down from this chair. Mm-hmm. That's it. Which they're all and they're always gonna say, which leg do you want me to use? I don't care. Whichever one you want, it doesn't matter. And then you get to see what the real results are. <laughs> That's that's really cool and crafty. Yeah. I like yes, it. you have to be crafty sometimes. Yeah, for sure, because we're getting information like in a from a subconscious level, not necessarily like a conscious level. We're getting feedback Absolutely. from the body that's going to show you more than yeah. someone's ability to tell you. Now, what was really interesting is that this woman was a Hannah Semantics practitioner. Wow, and she went through extensive training, mm-hmm. and she contacted me. She says, "I have a right side bending problem." Mm-hmm. No one's ever contacted me saying that before, right? Yeah. No one even knows what a right side bending problem is. Yeah. So, but she had absorbed some of my information and all of her pain was on the right side. Mm-hmm. But when I actually looked at her pelvis and rib cage over Zoom, it was her left side that was higher, mm-hmm. not her right. Mm-hmm. Completely blew her away. Mm-hmm. And then we followed that up with that chair standing test mm-hmm. and her left leg couldn't even do it. And so that confirmed 
that her pelvis is responding to the problem in her left leg. So you strengthen her left leg, that QL is effectively relaxing. Now she no longer has a side bending problem. Correct. And then what happens is once we strengthen that left leg, what she's likely been doing is offloading the left leg to the right and making it carry 10 to 20% more of the load. And the right leg is saying, you know what? I can't do this anymore. You know? And so once we get this balanced again, then her left leg will accept more load and unload the right by 10 to 20% and her pain will go away. Nice. This is like, this is really fascinating. And I think if someone is like, uh, you can get a lot of value listening to this. Um, And if you have the opportunity, come back and go through this again by watching this, because it's been really cool to see you actually move the, move the skeleton around and see these things visually. But like, this is powerful stuff. I'd love to continue talking about um, any remaining patterns that you think are very relevant. Those are the two primary patterns in terms of back and sciatic pain. The third pattern is very rare, so I rarely even talk okay. about it. Okay. But I think the, the bigger surprise is really what's behind chronic neck pain and headaches, mm-hmm. even with ridiculous symptoms. Okay. And I don't know, do we have time to talk yeah. about that? Yeah, we do. Oh, okay. All right. So the, the chronic neck pain and headaches uh, is... Like we mentioned before, the shoulder blade is the center of function Mm -hmm. for the upper body system, just as the pelvis is for the lower body and back, all right? And if you Google uh, scapular muscles, you'll see all of these huge muscles and small muscles that attach directly into the neck and the base of the skull. And so uh, what happens is that when there's dysfunction in the shoulder blades, for whatever reason, that is transmitted up through these muscles into the neck and skull. In particular, the muscle is the, the one muscle that causes most of the strain is the levator scapula. Mm-hmm. And it attaches from the corner of the shoulder blade here mm-hmm. into C1, 2, 3, and 4, and sometimes 5. Mm-hmm. And so when people say, oh, man, my neck just kills me right here, it's often blamed on the upper trapezius. Mm-hmm. Well, the upper trapezius is this big, broad, big, thick hand muscle. Yep. Why would it be just in one little line of that muscle, Right. right? It's not the upper trapezius. It's the levator scapula deep to it Mm -hmm. because the levator scapula is trying to do the job of the upper trapezius as well as some of the other trapezius muscle and Mm -hmm. the serratus. Mm -hmm. So it all falls to this. And if you consider that your upper body arm weighs about 20 to 30 pounds, depending on who you are, that's the levator scapula trying to hold up 20 to 30 pounds throughout the day. Levator scapula means it elevates the scapula, right? That's what its job is. And if you turn off everything else that's supposed to assist with that, that's the lone hero left over, right? And so what that does, because of its attachments into the cervical spine, it will then cause compression, side bending and rotation in the cervical spine, right? Especially if this is an asymmetrical pull on the cervical spine, right? And then guess what? The deep suboccipital muscles then respond to that irritation. Well, the nerves that travel up into the head go through those suboccipital mm-hmm. muscles. So we, we all do suboccipital muscle release, yep. but that's not where the source of the problem is. The source is down here. And I can almost guarantee that anyone listening who has chronic neck pain and headaches, no one has ever looked at their shoulder blade system as the mm-hmm. source of that pain, especially if they're having ridiculous symptoms where they're having neural symptoms come out, you know, going down their arm. Yeah. Almost every practitioner will say, oh, well, you've got a neck problem. Mm -hmm. Yes, you have a neck problem, but why are you having the neck problem? 
mm-hmm. because of the shoulder girdle system. Mm-hmm. So how do we begin to unwind this pattern and, and some of these patterns associated with that? Because I know there's probably more than one in here. No, there's, there's, there is more than one, but I've really, this one is the most common. Okay. So I'm going to give you a really easy test to figure this out if this okay. is happening to you or your patients. Mm-hmm. All right. So someone you're seeing has neck pain or headaches. And so you have them stand there and you have them turn their head sideways. Mm-hmm. All right. And then up and down to and get a sense of how restricted that motion is or any pain or anything mm-hmm. like that. OK, then you're going to sneak up behind them. Well, hopefully not sneak. Hopefully you have permission. But anyway, you're going to put your hands in their armpits and you're going to lift up the shoulder blades about a half inch to an inch higher. Mm -hmm. Their job is to relax their shoulders into your hands as they have to let this go. Yeah. Okay. So you do that. You might have to wiggle around a little bit. All right. So after about 15 or 30 seconds, you ask them to turn their head again, left, right, up and down. Mm -hmm. And I would say almost anyone with chronic neck pain and headaches will say that they feel significant relief, Mm. or you'll see that they have greater range of motion before pain occurs. Mm -hmm. All right. So that is a positive test to show that the shoulder girdle is the source of the pain. Because granted, that's only a 15 or 30 second test. Right. Just think if this system was fixed all day long. Right. Right. So there are a subset of people who are in so much pain that they're just guarding, right? They can't let it go. So then those people, what I eventually do, because you'll get those people and they'll say, oh, I don't feel any difference. Mm -hmm. Well, I know it's the shoulder girdle system because I've already measured all the landmarks of the shoulder blade. So I know Mm -hmm. it is. So uh, what I do then do is I lower the hands back down in the shoulder blades and then they receive the full weight of their arm again. Mm -hmm. They hadn't realized what you had done for them when you unloaded their arm from their neck. And now you give them that weight again and they're just like, Oh my gosh, that I, my neck is killing me now. Mm-hmm. You know, well, that's because we put the full weight of your upper body system back on your neck again. I was unloading it temporarily. Right. So this is not only identifying that the shoulder blade is the source of the problem. It's identifying the particular pattern of the shoulder blade that's the source of the problem, which is that of depressed shoulder blades. Mm-hmm. So we need to, so we need to like, so shoulder blades are depressed and we want them to be stronger in elevation. Does that mean the trap needs to get more active to help the levator scap? Like what's the, what's the counter to that? The counter to that is fixing the reasons why the shoulder blades are depressed in the first place. Okay. Right. And so we already talked about one of those. One of those is a side bending problem. Yeah. Potentially depressing that shoulder blade right off the bat. Mm -hmm. Okay. Let's assume that you don't have a side bending problem. Have you ever been to a yoga class? Mm Mm-hmm. Have you ever heard the cue to bring your shoulder blades down and back into the opposite back pockets? What are you doing? Depressing shoulder blades. You're depressing shoulder blades. Why are we doing that in yoga? Because the aesthetics of dance have, I think, drifted over into yoga practice because we all want to create this long neck, Right. right? Because that is the aesthetic ideal that has slipped into gymnastics, yoga, Pilates, and you know, any number of other disciplines about fitness. Mm -hmm. And so by cueing people to bring their shoulder blades down and back, what they're trying to do is create a tall posture with a long neck. And that certainly does it, but it's an artificial way of doing that. Mm -hmm. Look at the way, look at the architecture of the shoulder girdle system. Mm -hmm. That has no business helping us with posture. Mm -hmm. Right? Right. So... What we have to do is often stretch the scapular depressors that Mm -hmm. have occurred and change that posture strategy. And I can show you how to change it right now if you want to. Yeah, please. 
Okay, it's really easy. So we're going to put one hand on your chest okay. and the other hand on your belly. And folks at home really do this because you're going to feel the truth of this, especially if you have neck pain or headaches. Take a nice deep breath in, Dr. Anthony. And you're going to feel your ribcage lift and then exhale and you'll feel the ribcage lower again. Can you yeah, feel that? For sure. Okay. We're going to go ahead and breathe in one more time. And when you exhale, exhale all the way, but don't let the ribcage fall all the way. Let it stay up maybe a millimeter. And you'll notice that your stomach muscles have just engaged ever so slightly. Yeah. That is your core muscles, of which we have many, and they're broad and powerful. That is your core holding up your rib cage or your posture. That's what they're designed to do. All right. And it will happen naturally, just simply by lifting the rib cage a millimeter more than yeah. you're used to. Just a tiny intention to lift. Just a tiny, yeah. just a tiny intention. You don't and. You know, most people will say, oh, well, if I can lift a little bit and turn them on, then I'm going to lift it a lot and turn them way on, right? Well, then you start engaging that whole extension right. system. Right. We don't want that. Mm -hmm. We don't need that. All we need is just a little bit higher, and that will engage the abdominal muscles or core muscles as much as they need to be engaged in order to support your trunk. Mm -hmm. Nice. So the second, the second part of this equation then is we have to lower the arms down by our sides and loosen the shoulders and get them out of the equation. Mm -hmm. Let them be two loose dangling ropes, you know, by your sides here. Mm -hmm. And what you'll notice is when you've relaxed your arms completely, you've also let go of your core activation. Mm -hmm. And that's because you've tied shoulder retraction to posture instead of core engagement to right. posture. So the practice would be engaging and disassociating this connection. It's not mm -hmm. meant to be like this. Mm -hmm. You should walk with arms relaxed, rib cage ever so slightly lifted, and that's all you need to do. Yeah, and the core is, is so the core is suited for this. It's it's his job to provide spinal stability, right? And the shoulder exactly. blade is it's not his job. It's just to be mobile and to move us where we need to be. The shoulder blades. The shoulder blade purpose is to help assist us in lifting our arms up. Yep. Right. There are rules about this. It's not to create posture. Mm -hmm. And this is where wow. we've gone wrong. Yeah. All right. Sure. And so, and so I don't want people to take this and say, oh, well, if I just contract my core then all day long. No, I'm not asking you to contract your core. I'm asking you to lift your rib cage slightly, which will then naturally engage your core as much as necessary to hold that posture. Mm -hmm. More is not better. This was... This has been amazing so far. I and and I want to spend a few more minutes and get into like first off, if anyone is listening to this and they're like really following along, liking this or has any area that has problems, like your program basically details head to toe with video training exactly what to do with the PDFs accountability like that's what you do, correct? You safe in saying that? Oh yeah. Okay. So Oh yeah. So take that to heart, explore that deeper, you'll get a ton of benefit. I want to I want to um, talk a little bit about a couple just off topic things. Um, how do you help people like avoid injuries from exercise or heal faster if things happen? So even if someone does have decent biomechanics, I don't know, they're training hard, bumps and bruises happen, little tendonitis here and there, or things like this. How do people avoid injuries in your in your experience from when they who are actively exercising and how do they heal faster? What's the protocol if they do get something that we consider an acute uh, injury of some sort? Yeah, well, to me, the answer is understanding the body that you're using. Mm -hmm. And that's what that exam is all about. 
when you go through that systems exam and understand everything from the ribcage down to the foot, then you understand why all of these things are happening and can fix them relatively easily. Mm -hmm. So that knowledge, everyone's bodies are built slightly differently. Mm -hmm. And you don't have to have an encyclopedic knowledge of your body. But if you use the home program that I've created to solve your pain, then you will continue those principles in your training as well. Mm -hmm. Because clearly, if they're solving your pain, it's wise to implement those while you start adding load to your system as well. Right. Right. Right? It's as simple as that. There are no special techniques. So one of the, you know, you mentioned your leg having several fractures earlier. So one of the things that uh, a lot of people miss is this idea of femoral antiversion and retroversion Mm -hmm. and how that plays into their sport or exercise plan or anything like that. So this is often one of the things that's driving chronic pain in the lower body system. Mm -hmm. We can go over that if you want to. Yeah, sure. We can. Let's talk about that. Okay. All right. So it's really easy to determine too. Mm -hmm. So uh, all thigh bones are not created equal. So men's thigh bones tend to be more externally rotated, Mm -hmm. which is called femoral retroversion. Mm -hmm. And women's thigh bones tend to be more internally rotated, Mm -hmm. which is called antiversion. Mm -hmm. Well, the, the hip and the knee joints don't really like internal rotation. Right. Because internal rotation at both of these joints increases compression and yep. wear and tear and so forth. All right. So uh, and then what happens is if you don't if you aren't controlling that internal rotation well, then the knee joint is internal rotating and then the foot and ankle follow. And then you get excessive pronation at the foot and ankle, which then can lead to plantar fasciitis or chronic ankle sprains, things mm-hmm. like that. All right. So really what we have to do is first understand, hey, does do I have an antiverted femur? And if you do, then you have to strengthen your gluteal muscles more than most people. Mm-hmm. But it's not only strength that's important, it's engagement at the right time. Mm-hmm. And when are the gluteal muscles supposed to be engaging? At foot strike when we're walking. Right. What is turning off the gluteals when we're foot striking? It is locking the knee. Mm which is the same pattern that's causing excessive arching, tilting of the pelvis, and other problems. Okay. So that's how one small correction can solve many things down and up. Mm-hmm. And if you don't mind, I'll just tell you a really quick story. I had a sure. Division One swimmer scholarship. She had to abandon her scholarship and drop out of the swim program because she developed back pain that no one could solve. Mm-hmm. 15 years later, she shows up at my clinic walking in with plantar fasciitis. Mm-hmm. She was in so much pain, I couldn't even do an exam with her. She she was just racked with pains if she went from standing to sitting, sitting to standing, lying down, you name it. She had to just breathe through her pain. She was in so much pain. I said, wow, that plantar fasciitis must really be killing you. She says, oh, that's not, that's nothing. It's my back that's killing me, but you can't help me with that. No one's helped me with that. And boy, nothing gets underneath gets my hackles more than someone telling me I can't help them. So anyway, unfortunately, though, I couldn't even examine her, but I had seen everything that I needed to see just by watching her walk to the table. Mm -hmm. And so all I did was I put two little pieces of tape behind both of her knees. Mm -hmm. And I said, don't lock your knees anymore. And in three days, she came back and her back pain was 75% better, as well as her plantar fasciitis. This is how... This is how the body works as a system. If you understand the system, small things 
seem amazing. But, you know, once you work with it enough, I knew that she was going to feel so much better once she stopped locking her knees. Yeah. I just knew it. So anyway, so that gets into the antiverted femur part, but men have typically have retroverted femurs. Mm -hmm. So what's going on with Ben is that we are conditioned to believe that our feet should be pointed forward. Mm -hmm. But if you have retroverted femurs, your feet should be pointed outward to match the shape of your thigh bone. Right. Right. But because we're socialized to bring our feet forward, now we've created excessive internal rotation at the knee and hip joints, Mm -hmm. which once again creates increased compression. Right. Right. So we need to learn to walk with our feet out. And, and consequently, if you point your feet forward and you have retroverted femurs, guess what else it's going to do? It forces the knee to go into a locked position. It's harder to unlock that knee because you're not biomechanically aligned. Right. Right. So then you think about squats and lunges. How many people have said, oh, go ahead and point your toes out when you're doing that lunge mm-hmm. or squat? No one. Everyone always says, oh, point the toes forward, right? Well, if mm-hmm. you're a male with retroverted femurs, and frankly, females have retroverted femurs too, then, and you can have one f- retroverted femur and one antiverted femur, mm-hmm. which was the case of an NFL lineman I treated. Mm-hmm. We solved his pain in one treatment mm-hmm. after nine years of pain while he was going through still training in <laughs> two days and so forth. So, wow. And this was the interesting thing, because I interviewed him on my podcast and I said, hey, uh, you know, because I wanted to talk to him about what he learned from this experience. Mm -hmm. He said, you know, I realized that my pain didn't start three years ago. It started nine years ago Mm -hmm. when I started going to college. And then all the trainers, because you're a lineman, you go through a lineman workout Mm -hmm. and linemen do squats like this Mm -hmm. and linemen do lunges like this. And that's when he started having problems because he was no longer able to accommodate the personal mechanics that he had, Mm -hmm. that he was staying out of pain in high school because no one was paying attention. Mm -hmm. Now that people were making him follow all these rules that didn't fit his body, that's Mm -hmm. when his ankle and hips and knees started breaking down. Yeah. Very, very illuminating. And the reason he had one hip that was retroverted or one femur that was retroverted versus the other one antiverted because his glutes are aligned differently. It's just how it is like purely genetics. Okay. Yeah. So he could either switch sides of the line, Mm -hmm. which meant that his other leg was built better Mm because there was a certain way that they asked these guys to set up their pass protection. Yeah. Right. That caused him to have a vulnerability in the side of the leg that's retroverted. Yeah. And so it didn't work on that side. Mm -hmm. So we instead changed his way of doing that. I mean, what a, what a powerful conversation. Like I, I personally got so much out of this, just learning and listening from to you here. And I know a lot of people listening did as well from the different assessments at home, just understanding how these kinetic chains are all connected bio individual differences. And, and honestly, the promise of how simple it can be and how pain can be solved quickly when you get to the truth and the why of it. This was amazing. You're obviously so good at what you do. How can people learn more besides, you know, the fixing www.fixingumethod.com and you have promo code fixing you, where would you like to drive people and direct people to and other things that you do offer, whether that's virtual sessions or other that I'm sure people are going to be interested in that. Yeah, well, uh, rickolderman.com is actually the clearinghouse for everything that I have available. Mm -hmm. My home programs, I've created a practitioner training course Mm -hmm. to train all practitioners 
whether they're coaches or surgeons, mm-hmm. in these principles of, of understanding how our body works to create and solve pain. And then my home programs, I have a free ebook there. I have a blog there. Um, I have a few chapters for my new book, Solving the Pain Puzzle, there that people can read if they want to or order it. It'll, mm-hmm. it'll link to Amazon. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's the big clearinghouse. The fixing you method is only where the home programs are. Okay. But if you, if you want to dip your toes in the water first, then go to rickolderman.com and you can dip all you want. Well, Rick, this was a true pleasure. I, I want to thank you so much for coming on and sharing your wisdom in, in such like a short, but also like deep way. Um, you're amazing. You're doing great work in the world. And I mean, it's going to benefit a lot of people from this conversation who are going to help to shine some light on what's going on and maybe even like completely fix their patterns from the things that you shared today in this one episode. So amazing, deep gratitude to you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Dr. Anthony. It says a lot about you that to even have me on. So thank you so much for having me. Thanks, Rick. Hey there, my friend. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of the Fit Mother Project podcast. If you love what you heard, I have a favor to ask you. Please consider taking 60 seconds right now to leave us a rating and review on our podcast. Leaving us a review is super quick. It only takes a minute and it's so, so helpful to us as it really boosts this podcast to reach more people who need this information and this message. If you're listening on Apple Podcast, you can leave us a star rating and review. If you're watching on YouTube, you can hit the like button and leave us a comment. Overall, I truly appreciate you being with us here on the podcast. On behalf of me and my entire Fit Mother Project team, we truly feel honored and grateful to support you and your family on your journey to fantastic health. I thank you for your support of this podcast and of this mission. Also, if you're interested in joining our Complete Fit Mother program and becoming an official member of our community, you can visit our website, fitmotherproject.com. And on the Fit Mother site, you'll be able to see our Complete Fit Mother program along with our online store with the best supplements designed for busy moms. And you'll also find a ton of free resources like recipes, workouts, meal plans, and more. God bless you and your family. This is Dr. Anthony Balduzzi signing off. I'll catch you on the next episodes of the Fit Mother Project podcast. 